Relevant. Connected. Great conversation. The Rick and Suzanne Show. Catch them live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800. Fridays uh, means we talk tech gadgets, the web, all those kinds of things with our uh, tech columnist, analyst, our expert, Carmi Levy. I think uh, Suzanne has it figured out as to exactly how we should address you, Mr. Levy. Oh, okay. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Carmi Levy is an independent technology analyst. We okay. know that. He was still writing for Yahoo Canada Finance. He writes for the Toronto Star. Yep. And, and what's very exciting for Carmi is that coming up, he's going to be having a, uh, a weekly sell, uh, segment on technology on the CTV News Channel. So that's all very cool and very exciting for Carmi. And we're glad that Carmi is here. Hey, Carmi. And Carmi's glad to be here, too. <laughs> but soon, I'm worried, it's, by the time we introduce you, the segment will be over. Yeah. Well, you know, you know my, my kids, they just roll their eyes. They're like, yeah, you're just dad. You know, you're just, just there you go. There. Our dad <laughs> of tech. That's right. You know, they, know, they know, they know where to go when they've got a tech problem or question. Could you please save Suzanne from the smartwatch? I, I, well, I can't see I, the smartwatch. I won't just save Suzanne from the smartwatch. I think I might save us all from the smartwatch. Go ahead. What's, yeah. What well, is the you know, deal? Sam, Samsung had a real big announcement this week. They announced something called it's called the Galaxy Gear, and basically it's this big, chunky, it's sort of like a, well, it's like, it's like a digital watch, but a, with a big honking screen on it, and it costs $300 U.S., so of course it'll cost like what, like uh, about 1000 Canadian by the time, or something oh. a little bit more by the time it goes on sale here, and it's useless unless it's tethered, unless it's wirelessly connected to your smartphone. And not just any smartphone, it has to be one of the latest Samsung smartphones. Um, so, you know, it's this, everyone's talking about it, everyone says wearable computing is going to be huge, uh, Google Glass that we've talked about previously, those, those glasses that you wear on your eyes that let you take pictures as you walk down the street, I that's another form that. of wearable. Yeah. These things are expensive, They're, the battery like, is usually dead by the middle of the day, you've got to constantly plug them in. Um, and quite frankly, they don't do anything that your smartphone or your tablet don't already do. So I'm kind of wondering, why is there so much hype here for something that, you know, one person might be at a party and everyone will gather around, but I don't see all of us buying this thing this year or, you know, frankly, anytime soon. And not so only that, the smartwatch, it's not even two inches big. Yeah. And that's, so that's, it's like, how, you, how can you see anything? Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the problem, too, is I think there's an expectation that a smartphone, you know, the screen is just large enough, especially now because the phones are getting bigger, the screens are four and a half, five inches, and that's kind of big enough, that you can kind of read, you know, for the most part, you can read email and you can read the web, sort of, and if you want to answer sort of short messages or tweets or quick Facebook status updates, smartphone's pretty good for that. It's not ideal. You wouldn't want to write war and peace on this thing, but for the everyday interactive back and forth, the smartphone's good enough. But you shrink that down onto your wrist, and A, it, it's a massive watch, but in terms of screen real estate, it's really tiny. Uh, I wouldn't want to be answering any tweets on that thing. I wouldn't want to be making a phone call. Sure, you know, it sounds great to do a Dick Tracy thing, but let's face it, after a while, you just look silly. I think it's, it's a case of, of it's just the wrong device for the wrong function. And at some point, you're thinking, well, I'm just going to go dig, it out of my, dig my phone out of my pocket because it's going to work better than this ridiculous thing on my wrist. But, Carmi, how does Samsung, who's been getting everything so right of late, get something so wrong, do you think? Um, I think they've got, like everyone else, they've gotten caught up in the hype. And I, I don't want to blame Samsung alone because uh, just recently Sony's introduced an updated watch as well. Qualcomm has released one. Toshiba's rumored to be having one. And, of course, the big daddy of them all, Apple, uh, apparently reserved the name iWatch uh, in a J Japanese patent court, and the rumor is is that they're preparing something for a 2014 release. 
So everyone and his dog is, is rushing something like this to market, and it's almost like no matter who you are, even if you're Samsung or Apple and you almost never miss, if you don't participate in this party, the risk is you'll get left behind. So it's worth spending probably a couple billion dollars for them to, to, to do something like this on, on the risk of not being left behind. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but at least someone else doesn't take the prize. Yeah, I hear you. That's that's a crazy way to do business, though, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy, and I mean, it's nice to have pockets that deep that you can afford to take a yeah. chance like this. But you know, for, you know, from my perspective as a consumer, you have to be really careful about what you spend money on. And so, the things that you need when you leave the house—I mean, absolutely—in this day and age, you need a smartphone. But I look at a watch and I go, you know what? If I forgot that thing at home, I would, I would, I wouldn't lose anything. My day would still be very productive. That's all you need to know in terms of do I buy this or not. For now, at least, the answer is a great big no. Hey, Apple um, are going to get cheap and cheerful, and I've, some clown's got a picture of what he claims is the the new thumbprint uh, technology or something on the new iPhone 5 that they expect. I mean, there's an awful lot of hype here, too, but I oh, like sure. seeing Apple and cheap together. Yeah, because that almost never happens. And no, one right. of the reasons why Apple's one of the, you know, the most profitable, consistently profitable companies on the planet is because it doesn't do cheap. It It does premium. It lives in that premium space. It's like... You know, Ford sells more cars, but BMW is more profitable because it makes a lot more money per car. Apple's kind of in that BMW space, and everybody loves them for that reason. Um, and when you're, when you're up there, the last thing you want to do is cheapen that brand. If you go down market to sell more stuff, you run the risk of diluting all, this, all the, the reasons that people buy your luxury product in the first place. So, but, you know, so Apple going, Apple sort of releasing a cheaper iPhone, which is now known as the 5C, or we believe it to be the 5C, which will be basically like a plasticky uh, uh, body. The screen probably won't be as high-tech. The processor might be a little slower, might have a little bit less memory inside, just kind of a, essentially like a decontented uh, current iPhone. Uh, Apple going there is, a really, is really big news because they never do it. But the smartphone market is becoming incredibly competitive, and the company essentially has no choice. Three out of four smartphones in the world now run the Android operating system. And as beloved as Apple is, unless it changes its marketing strategy and its business strategy a little bit, it may get left behind. And so it's, it, it's a pretty radical move for the company. It's good news for us because it lets us buy in um, at a lower price point. But at the same time, huge, huge risk for the company because... It, it may lose that cachet, yeah. and uh, we'll be watching. I'm wondering why they're doing this, because it seems to me, because they do like to play in that premium, and they do like to see the lineups outside their stores when they come up with something new and, and all the hype that that brings. So going to, like with cheaper material inside, I'm wondering, is it because they say, mom and dad say, we're not going to spend $600 on a phone for you, but we might spend 300 and you can pretend, my 10-year-old, that this is a real iPhone? Exactly, because as long as it has that Apple logo on it, it will be good enough for some people who otherwise would have bought an Android phone. Because if you, if you walk in, and I did this last week, I walked into one of the stores near my house, and, and I, kinda, I put them next to each other. The iPhone 5 was selling at $150, and there were these full-size Android phones. And now, granted, we know that that's not the real price because, of course, it's on a contract. But still, as far as you're concerned, you're going to walk out of here you know, dropping 150 bucks. So the, the Apple was 150. The Android, the most expensive one I could find, was 100, and it was bigger than and it was bigger than the than the iPhone. Now, if you're a parent and you walk into a store with your kid and you're like, okay, I know you really want the iPhone, but this one is bigger. It's got more features and it costs less. Guess who's paying the bill? Mm-hmm. And that's happening a lot. A lot of people see Android as a more feature-rich, more cost-effective choice, and Apple's got to counter that because if it doesn't, um, a lot of people are going to end up never even trying an Apple phone. Um, and that, of course, is deadly to the company's future. So get them cheap, 
while they, you know, when they can't afford anything else. And it's, it's almost like buying the low-end car. You buy the, low, the, the, the basic Toyota, the Yaris, and then eventually you get bigger and bigger Toyotas, and, and by the end of your career, you're buying Lexuses. That's what Apple wants to do here. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with uh, the BMW of analysts when it comes to <laughs> technology. Carmi Levy. Yeah, are you happy with your Gmail? You might think twice about it once we tell you what Google has been doing with your email account. That's next. I was scared of pretty girls and starting conversations all my friends are Vance Joy, and he's going to be joining us in studio the next half hour because we like to include music on our Fridays. And he's very good. Yeah, in about 15, 20 minutes he'll be here. He's out practicing right now. Oh, yeah? He's out in the green room with his ukulele. No one's told him to put it away. They're all being there. People are gathering. They're all quite entertained. He'll be entertaining us, too. He's very, very good. It is 219, also entertaining and informative. Carmi Levy, who is a tech analyst at uh, Yahoo, everywhere, everywhere on the planet. (laughs) Carmi is the guy to come to when it, uh, because he owns every gadget known to man. Uh, and, and sometimes has more than one version of it, and uh, and is usually the first to get a hold of one. And we've decided on Fridays that we must talk to him about all things technical. And people have been sending in texts, and you may have questions. Carmi's the guy to ask. Yeah, well, you know, you're talking about the fact that Carmi has probably every gadget that's ever been released, and a couple of them. Isn't it getting so? It's like, who cares anymore? Do you know what I mean? I mean, here we're talking what? about this. We're talking about the, oh, the smartwatch, and everybody's going, yeah, not don't need that. Uh, a new iPhone comes out. Well, iPhone 5, it's made out of plastic. Uh, don't need that. It's kind of like we're getting to the point where we're saying, ah, it's no big deal. We're not lining up around the block anymore for gadgets, are we? Well, it takes more to wow us, that's for sure. I guess. You know? yeah. The lineups, with each successive generation, if you look at the iPhone, because it was first released in 2007, and that was like a, you could almost feel the earth move when it, when it first came out. Each successive generation, obviously, they've been big days, and we've got another one coming on Tuesday, but truth of the matter is, is we don't line up around the block the way we used to. Um, it's, it's not, you know, I think it takes more to wow us. We've almost become blasé to it. Um, and now we're seeing this, this, uh, this survey that essentially says, we don't care when our services go down. Um, for example, if Gmail goes down or if Twitter goes down, two-thirds of us just kind of yawn and walk away because we sort of realize that in the overall scheme of things, this stuff doesn't matter all that much, which suggests to me that I don't know, maybe more of us actually still have a life than we might have thought otherwise. and Maybe we're not as addicted to all this technology as we once thought we God, were. It's God, a good sign. <laughs> Rick's starting to no, go you know into what, You know what I got? And it's been a while since Apple really got me. Yeah. But uh, they they have trailers now running in the movie theaters and like the surround sound and all that stuff, where they have launched the brand new design of the uh, the Mac Pro, which is I don't know if you've seen this. You don't know what it is when it starts. They've got the uh, it's almost like Batman. This thing's black. It's round in the shape of a tube. And then when they when the tube is taken off dramatically in it, you see the three panels. It looks like something out of the new Star Trek movie. Marketing. In the way they've designed the... And, and the next thing you know, I'm jumping up looking for a way to buy it right then and there. Oh, boy, you are... Boy, you are but just no, they, a The excitement is there. It's it's really well done, and they haven't done that in a long time. I it, it, it is. And, and you know, it's funny, because I've seen those ads as well. And I, I was kind of wowed when I saw them in the theater. I mean, on a big screen, I mean, this computer is, is, is probably one of the most drop-dead gorgeous computers you've ever seen. It is. Uh, and if you haven't, uh, went, you know, as, as soon as we're off air, go Google, listeners, go Google Mac Pro. And look at uh, it. Because it's stunning. Um, but the funny thing is, is the Mac Pro, it's an interesting case. 
Um, it's Apple's high-end computer. It's designed for people who are doing, like, who are designing rocket ships, mm. who are doing video production, doing multimedia production. Like, it isn't the computer for the rest of us. It, by the time you get it all set up, it is thousands and thousands of dollars, so you really have to want one. And so it isn't going to be a mass-market populist device like the iPhone. Chances are your friends aren't going to own one, and you're not going to own one. But what it does is it's almost like having a Corvette or a Viper in the showroom, uh, you may be going in to buy a Chevy Cruze, but boy, when you walk by that Corvette, you're like, this company makes that? Wow, that's awesome. Uh-huh. And, and so that's what it's all about. It's kind of casting that halo over the everyday plebeian products, and especially as Apple releases the 5C, this cheap, plasticky iPhone, the fact that they also make this Mac Pro that no one's going to buy, as long as they see it and they think the company's still cool, uh, the brand is still going to be worth something. You, you saw you an can. interesting text come in, too, Suzanne, there, um, about you know the, the fact that uh, a listener feels that that uh, they're bi- that the uh, the market for high end phones is saturated here, so therefore they're building uh, Apple's building cheaper phones for the Chinese market. No, mm-hmm. or or for kids to get the hooks in, like the cheaper. Oh phones, yeah, no, they're another so one. Kids... Tech says, yeah, he says uh, yep. a cheap iPhone is a gateway drug. Smart marketing. It absolutely is. It's 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 the smartphone here. Uh, here there are sort of two ways of looking at it. Here in Canada, North America, and Europe, which are you know largely you know fairly highly penetrated developed markets where most of us have smartphones. It's, you know, chances are you're not going to sell a, a, smart, a smartphone to someone who doesn't already have one. And so you'll sell it to, you know, parents who are buying for their kids and they're looking for a cheap way in. Outside of North America, in developing markets, price is even more key. Um, and, and, for example, someone may have to give up a month's worth of salary in order to afford a smartphone. Mm. So a current generation iPhone, which you can't buy on contract in the middle of Africa like you can here, that thing's going to cost six or seven hundred dollars. It's a lot more to someone in Africa than it is to someone here. So if you can slice that down to size for them, suddenly it becomes attainable. And they're not just smartphones to them. Uh, in many places, many of these developing nations, they don't even have PCs. Like the the infrastructure, they completely missed the PC revolution. So the smartphone is, is their PC, yeah. and so it is going to change. Like you know, sure, it'll be great for us to have a cheap phone, but more importantly, outside of Canada, it's going to rock some people's world because it's going to literally change their lives. Right. Are you uh, creeped out by Google? Every day of my life, yes, but I still use it. Yeah, but what's interesting is there's some lawyers now that are are uh, saying, okay, that's enough now. You have to stop reading your people's emails. And, and this is a case to watch. There's a class action lawsuit. Right now it only involves 10 people, so it's pretty small, but it's going to, you know, the way how things work in the U.S., it'll set a precedent. Um, and basically these, this, these lawyers are, are arguing in federal court, so this is, this is big stakes. They're saying that Google unlawfully opens up, reads, and acquires the contents of people's private email messages, and it violates California's privacy laws. And essentially, it's, it's not that thousands of people are sitting in a room working for Google reading what we write. Um, it's that they use software, algorithms, programming to automatically scan everything that goes in and out of our inboxes, and then it looks for certain keywords and phrases, and then it matches up ads that align with those phrases. So, for example, if I'm interested in uh, computers, cycling, photography, and, of course, CJAD Montreal, it's going to serve up all sorts of ads related to that, and it's not going to try to you know, sell me diapers because I'm not interested in those. And and that's how Google makes money off of Gmail. So right, and Gmail is free, and that's the price you're paying. Well, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, it's that's, free. That's right, and I have no problem with it either because I, when I signed up for Gmail, remember that great big terms of use thing that, of course, nobody reads? I clicked click agreed. Agree? It's all in there. <laughs> yeah. And Google specifically says, this is what we're going to do with the data. We reserve the right uh, to use it for advertising purposes. That's how we make a buck in this world. And quite frankly, uh, anyone who in 2013 believes that when we go online, 
everything is completely and absolutely private, mm. I think is a little bit diluted. I don't want to insult anyone, but truth of the matter is, the, the, the very definition of the Internet is supposed to be open and shareable, and privacy, unfortunately, even when you sign up for a service like Gmail or any other web-based uh, mail service, just isn't there. I think we just have to get over with it and move, and, and move on. But it is going to be interesting to watch if they achieve this in California. They, you know, that that was the group that went after Microsoft and they won. They were out of California, so absolutely. And so, I mean, there are 425 million Gmail users and hundreds of millions of users of all sorts of other web-based mail services and messaging services. If this lawsuit succeeds, uh, this is going to be one of the big stories of our time because they're going to go after all of them. Alrighty. Thanks, Carmi. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, Hope you guys Car- have an awesome weekend. Yeah, you too. Carmi Levy, of course, he writes for Yahoo Canada Finance. He writes for the Toronto Star. He is our independent technology analyst. And coming up soon, you'll be able to see Carmi Weekly on CTV News Channel. He'll be doing a tech, a weekly tech segment on Sundays. This is the Rick and Suzanne Show podcast. Hear Rick and Suzanne live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800. We've been teasing you throughout the afternoon uh, with music from uh, Vance Joy. And finally, we have this uh, this young man in studio with us, uh, this solo Australian indie pop artist who's uh, going to sing. He's brought his ukulele in here. He's been entertaining uh, people outside the studio for at least a half hour as he practices and tries to deal with jet lag because uh, they've only been here for, what, a couple of days now. But we're glad to have him in studio. Absolutely. Vance, welcome to Montreal. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to Canada. Welcome to North America. Thank and you. <laughs> the whole thing. And the, the whole new time thing. zone and season. Really? So, all right. So, we're calling you Vance Joy. Yes. Also known as James Keogh. Yes. Can I ask you a question right off the top? Why do you have two names? Why do you want to use two names? Um, so, yeah, my, my real name is James. But um, I guess um, when I wanted to... I, I decided that I wanted an alias, so I... I was reading a book and I took this name, Vance Joy, out of a book I was reading and it just stuck out to me and I really liked it and had a kind of certain kind of um, magic to it and a ring to it and I and I just got attached to it. And yeah, so I decided to start using that as an alias to perform music under. So, so do you put on that persona when you're performing? I think that I'm pretty much myself when I'm on stage and... Uh, I think it's it's almost it feels really good to just be be yourself on stage and you you feel good after a show when you just let it all kind of out. But um, I think I cer- I certainly kind of uh, it's like a different level of focus and you're channeling this you know a good feeling when you're on stage. So I don't know if that's a different personality or if it's a part of me, but yeah. Uh, Vance lends itself to surf and I guess the ocean. That's what I think anyway. Joy speaks for itself. Your music kind of takes us there, and you can't. It's almost like the banjo, as Steve Martin once said. You can't play the banjo and not think of a smile or something along that line. Yeah. But the ukulele lends itself to that as well, and that's that's your chosen instrument. You are a young. Per, how old are you? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Why the ukulele? Um, I, I play I play the guitar as well, and I play you know whatever else, maybe a bit of piano. But the ukulele just stuck out to me. I was at a music shop a few years ago, and um, I was just. I just was curious and I picked it up and I started playing it and it it kind of makes you play in a different way. You know, it makes you play, you play the same chords, but they just sound different on a ukulele. So happier, happier and and just the the sound is different. And um, so it led to an interesting burst of creativity and I kind of just went with that feeling. And so I kept kind of using the ukulele and writing on it and... Well, let, can we get a taste of that then? Please? Yeah, yeah. What are, what are you going to play for us? Uh, my song, Riptide. Riptide. Riptide, all right. Here we go. Vance Joy. Mm-hmm. 
pretty girls will start in conversations Are all my friends are turning green You're the magician's assistant in their dreams Oh The text from says, Vance Joy. The text says, great song, high, high five. High five on that. Um, you know, it, Thank you. I'm, I'm remo- Jack Johnson would buy that. <laughs> I know he would. He'd, he'd love that song. And it sounds to me like if Damien Rice ever got happy, if he ever found happiness, there it'd be because I feel the emotion in that too. Vance Joy, you live up to your name. That was joyful, that story. Thank you. Is there someone you know? Is is that song about someone I know? Yeah. Um, it's actually a kind of a, a real kind of patchwork of ideas and experiences and images that I, I had kind of rolling around in my head and I, I stuck them together. I had the first line about four years ago and I didn't finish the song until last year. I, I just kind of brought it back out of the closet and, and stuck it together. Glad you did. Yeah, so I'm glad Van- you did. Vance has just arrived from Mel- from Melbourne, yes, Australia. That's home. This is his first time in North America. Just, He's playing just, tonight. It's just spring there now. That's right. It's just the opposite. At the Quai des Brumes, and the show is at 9 o'clock tonight. This is your first performance. He's still a little bit jet-lagged, but he's going to stay with us for the half hour. We're right. going to hear a little bit more. But so I'm, what I'm curious about is how did Vance Joy get from Australia to Montreal? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a. It's. I've, I've kind of started. I started doing this, and um, I I had a few songs up uh, up my sleeve, and I recorded them last year. And in uh, Australia. In Australia, and um, yeah, I went to South by Southwest. I did a, a bunch of kind of things like that, and um, I actually got. I. It was kind of an interesting turn of events. I got flown over to America after I'd recorded a few songs uh, to meet with. Um, Atlantic Records, and that was a real orientation of fire. Like I was out of my out of my depth, and I was playing for all these guys showcasing, and and eventually, you know, I think it all kind of worked worked out well. And yeah, I find myself kind of on these tours and get to see the world, and um, yeah, release my music around the world. And so, it's, so, it's, you, you don't have a lot of luggage here. You know, you've got the you ukulele. Got ukulele. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very portable and it's low maintenance. You know, so I'm just go with the of, overhead. <laughs> yeah, but how? What spark? Because all of a sudden, your name's out there. You're selling lots of music. People want to come and see in places like Montreal like they can tonight. Social media, what was it, do you think? I think, um, I just think that I I was really, all I was concerned about, um, you know, probably a year and a half ago was just writing songs. And I just kind of was enjoying writing songs. And I didn't have any expectations of uh, doing it as a, as a full-time job or anything like that. So I think I had... A kind of a really nice kind of bubble that I was operating in and writing songs. And when I had all those songs written, I just I had this kind of uh, offering. And once I had that, I could put it on SoundCloud. I put it on Facebook, and from there, I guess Boom. people kind of find out about it. Yeah, because you studied right. You studied law. Yeah, you wanted to be a lawyer, and you chose music. And we've got we've got to find out more about this yes. story. And we're there's gonna, a lesson in here somewhere. There is, <laughs> and then there's going to be more more music as well from Vance Joy. That's the musician. The lawyer is James Kehoe coming in from Melbourne playing tonight. We'll hear more in just a moment. Measure, they're playing in Montreal tonight and this weekend as well. And in... Good Lord. It's 2.50, the Rick and Suzanne show on CJAD. And joining us in studio, another choice that you could make this weekend. Uh, in from Australia, he's brought his ukulele with him, Vance Joy, joining us. And when last we spoke of uh, Vance, it was uh, the other personality known as James who uh, who wanted to be and studied to be a lawyer but then came the decision and the life choice now has been music and we're happy he did that so how did how did that transition happen uh, here you were going to be you know do what probably mom and dad wanted you to do which was Definitely. to become a lawyer mm-hmm. and and wh- wh- when did that transition happen i i went um straight from school into studying law and um i was um I think I was I was spending a bit of time doing sport and I was kind of interested in that and I was kind of half my brain was interested in my study and um music was always just a hobby and um I think I went I it was 2009 and I wrote a song that was slightly better than any other song I'd written up to that point you know when songwriting was just for me a, just a fun thing to do and I never really focused on it or tried to look back at a song and try to make it better or rewrite it or um, see it as like a uh, something that I could actually develop a skill at doing, and um, I wrote a song and I was like, "This is good," and I just got a feeling from it, and I was like, "This is this is I can't believe I actually wrote this song." And not that it was so great; it was just like <laughs> everything I'd written to that point was really average. So um, I just kind of had that moment, and I just kept developing that thing and trying to reach that level of songwriting again. And I spent the next three years while I was finishing my degree writing songs and. All my passion and my interest was really directed at songwriting. And so by the time I finished my degree, I was ready to just spend a year writing songs. And that's kind of what I did. I just finished and um, graduated and spent that 
uh, first six months of that year writing songs. And that's kind of when I had that nice little bubble of I was living out of home and I was writing songs. And yeah. so it just kind of, it felt natural and I just followed that instinct. But so now you're writing these songs, but now you've got to get feedback on it. So how did you start going out and performing and playing? Yeah, I, I started, Um, it was actually hard to get a gig because when you really don't have any connections and you, you're just starting out, it's, you know, where do you go? And so I just, I asked a few different friends who played music and I got a spot um, playing at a cafe on a Sunday morning uh, afternoon slot and I just play a few of my songs and a few covers and that was that was funny, but it was kind of people are not there to listen to me. They're just there to have their their, their brunch or whatever. And then um, I played at uh, open mic nights where you can just rock up and you put your name on the list and play. And also I played. How'd that in. go? What kind of feedback do you get from that? That was it's funny because it's such a mixed bag and it's a really cool thing open mic because you're never going to see the same kind of performance again. So I remember going there and I'd see these guys playing and sometimes it'd be amazing and sometimes it'd be awful, but it'd be so memorable no matter what it was because it's like what is this? Like, this is terrible, but it's just, I can't forget this. Like, I'd pay money to see this because it's it's so vivid. And I did that, and the feedback was sometimes really great, and that was kind of a great feeling, like, you know, you'd finish your set and you'd lay it all out, and there'd be someone, like, there'd be, like, a few guys at finish their day, their work, and they'd just happen to be at the place when you were playing, and they come up and they're like, man, that was really cool, and you're just like, oh, that was awesome. Like, that validates that it. That validates it, and yeah, yeah. so... Very nice. Well, let's let's. We I want to hear something yes. else. Yeah, I do. I just uh, one's not enough. You leave us wanting more. I know we're stressing you because of the jet lag, and we've got, <laughs> we're getting some hot liquids into you for your yeah. voice. It's all forgivable if it goes wrong. Believe me, because it's about the lyric I find with you. And uh, what are you going to do for us? Uh, this this song is called "Play with Fire." Okay, <laughs> let's shall we? <laughs> okay, Vance Joy. Say your heart is on 
say you're sometimes sentimental Well that ain't showing through to me And I guess I knew it tonight. He's in from Australia, from Melbourne. He's an indie solo Australian artist uh, playing at Cai des Brumes this tonight at uh, 9 o'clock. It's at, uh, on Saint-Denis, just near Mount Royal. Right. Very uh, cool. Have fun tonight. Welcome to Montreal. Yeah, Thank we hope you, you get yeah. some rest because I know you're a little jet-lagged and we appreciate you coming in and sharing all that with us. It's a pleasure. Time. Best of luck. Thank you. Thanks. Listen to The Rick and Suzanne Show live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800 and at CJAD.com.